Do you ever wonder why some podcasts are so successful? Do you wish that you could replicate the success of some of the top podcasts? So do we. And we believe there is no harm in asking. So we're questioning everything about how podcasts are produced, hosted, and monetized. This is No Harm in Asking. I'm Eric Byron. And I'm Michael Kerr, always ready to share my opinion. We review podcasts and look for clues to why some make it big. And some don't make it at all. This week, we'll be talking with Cliff Dumas, co-founder and CCO of everythingpodcasts.com and author of the book, Broadcast to Podcast. Respect your audience's time. And that requires you to do the work and give them a piece of content that is interesting, engaging, compelling, and does it in a concise way that doesn't waste somebody's time. This podcast is sponsored by Colab.me, the free-to-use platform for interview planning, preparation, and collaboration. All right. Well, welcome, Cliff, to No Harm in Asking. This is a privilege for us to have you as a guest on the show. You're setting the bar pretty high, but I, <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We're about helping podcasters, right? Mm -hmm. We're learning. We want to share what we're learning. And you've been around this business a while, and you've made that conversion from broadcast to podcast. Well, we'll talk, you have a book by that title mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah, I think you have a lot of insight and wisdom about the industry and podcasting that you can share that hopefully will help us and maybe help our audience as well. Love to share. Love to share. And you know what? The, the, the broadcast industry is not that that much different than the podcast industry. It, it still comes down to who does the most compelling content and delivers it in a way that engages your audience. So uh, the pillars that make a, a good broadcast interesting to an audience are the same ones that all of the popular podcasts have been using now for you know well over a decade to connect with their audience. Yeah, well, I'm excited, obviously, because I'm a I'm a Toronto born and bred guy, just like you. And I uh, I ended up at the University of Guelph, which actually was a bit of a country music uh, haven in the uh, in the late '80s. And then I moved back to Toronto in the early 1990s. And uh, and you'd started a, a country music career in Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, I know that Toronto wasn't really a hotbed of country music at the time. Eric and I are big on niche. You know, I'm interested in um, whether or not you felt that there was an opportunity for you to start something in a niche sort of area that gave you opportunity that maybe you wouldn't have gotten if you'd gone somewhere else. Is that maybe is that a fair comment? Yeah. Well, I, I think I think the perception is that country music and especially at that time period was was niche in Toronto. And I think the reality is that it it actually wasn't. I think that the fact that it didn't exist on the FM dial in Toronto um, was true, but there are AM stations all over the city and there are FM all around. So when KISS FM launched in Toronto, uh, it launched in the top five of all formats in Toronto, arguably one of the cities that wasn't country friendly. So I think that disproved everything that that people had thought about the stereotypical country audience that may or may not exist in Toronto. And, and it continues to prove that today. I mean, if you look at the formats across the U.S. and Canada, country in the U.S. is the number one format uh, next to uh, AC or, or pop. And 
in Canada, it's two or three, but still one of the most popular formats. So I think the the business of launching a country station in Toronto made a lot of sense at the time, for sure. Whenever and wherever you tune in, you're part of our family. Group hug, Bakersfield's best country, KUZZ. You're back there in Bakersfield, a station founded by Buck Owens. you see any difference sort of between these two spaces? Well, you know, I, I went to the U.S. Uh, about a decade ago. So I uh, started doing mornings at uh, KSON in San Diego, and that was a, an amazing experience. Uh, great country market there. The opportunity to kind of check the box as an old country boy uh, working for Buck Owens was uh, pretty amazing. Do I notice a difference? Uh, country country fans are family, uh, passionate about their music. It's a lifestyle. Uh, they're real. They're authentic. Um, they're great storytellers. And I think that that's at the core of country music and country music singers and songwriters. I think what you find with a lot of folks who maybe don't know country music or don't listen to it or don't like it, and that's fine, is that you kind of lean into the stereotype of what you think country music is. And I think the one th- one of the things that we did very successfully in Toronto was launching a country station to an audience that we assumed at the time wasn't necessarily uh, huge country fans. Now, we, we were proven wrong for sure, but I think that uh, the, the technique that they used for marketing and our attitude going into it was, if you like rock and roll and you like pop music, let me introduce you to a country artist that is very similar and I think you would like very much. And that was kind of the philosophy behind the marketing at KISS FM in, in Toronto, which they did very successfully for a number of years until they yeah. kind of went off the rails a little bit and, and fell away from uh, the core of what uh, country music fans believe to be country music. And that's kind of where they lost their way. I'm interested maybe in, in the early days, if we go back, how did, how did opportunities arise in the, in the early days of your broadcasting career? Um, and then maybe we can take this into how maybe opportunities arise in the podcasting space. Well, I, I, first of all, I think radio is the original social media, because when you think about how interactive and how important radio is to uh, local communities, you know, when something happens locally, when there's a tragedy or uh, something that happens that uh, you need to turn on a friend or, or find information about, the first thing you do typically is, well, today you go on your phone, but then it was uh, turn on the radio station. And for yeah. most most communities that have radio stations that are are live and local, that's where they're going to go. So to me, the podcast ecosystem is an extension of what radio used to be. And what I like about the podcast, all the podcast platforms now is that it opens up the ability to be able to tell compelling stories across multiple genres in virtually any kind of content vertical that is interesting to the public. I mean, literally, as you know, uh, being in this, you can you can hear experts in virtually every field, opinions in virtually every field, um, or you can you can experience uh, theater of the mind, uh, you know, the, the the high level of production that's available in a lot of the podcasts now for the uh, uh, the scripted podcasts. So literally, whatever you're looking for from an entertainment or content aspect you can find in podcasting, which you used to be able to find in radio. And I still, uh, I think to some extent you still can, but to me, they're very, very symbiotic. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I'm interested in, so there's, 
kind of two aspects of this, right? There's the the storytelling, which we love. We always highlight these things in, in a lot of the podcasts that we review and their ability to tell stories. And we think that this is really important in engaging your audience and building that audience and that, that great content. But there's also the uh, engagement side of this that kind of fascinates me. And, and you're a comment there about the radio being the the social media before there was really social media and the fact that although we tend to think of it as you know you just were kind of listening but you're right there were the, the call-in shows and you know there was the ability to interact as well mm-hmm. and we're seeing mm-hmm. this much more now with with some of the most successful podcasts are also figuring out that the best way to grow your audience is to give your audience access talk to yep. them, answer yep. their questions, read their letters on the air, whatever. So mm-hmm. to talk to me a little bit about uh, that uh, evolution you've seen and how you encourage this in, in the podcast uh, or the brands that you're supporting who are doing podcasting. So interesting question, because I think there's two parallels here. One, you have uh, some of the podcasts that, like you said, are doing it very successfully, Armchair Expert. A lot of communication, depending on which uh, which show you're talking about within that that uh, that branded podcast, is is um, interaction with the audience. The difference, you know, with radio when it was live, is that you could have that interaction in the moment. Uh, for podcasting, which has to be kind of pre-recorded and and edited, you have to be a little bit more pragmatic when you figure out a way to integrate an audience into those conversations. But it still can be done, and some of them are doing it very well. Uh, when we talk about branded podcasts, um, which is the space that my company is is in, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean an infomercial for a brand. So you're listening to a ten or fifteen or twenty minute commercial. What you're listening to is a piece of content that, in my experience, uh, which is where we push all of our clients, is to be creatively brave in doing something that's unique and interesting to the audience that will draw the audience in that may or may not have really anything to do with what the brand does. It will align with um, the vision of the brand, uh, the brand's uh, emotional connection to the, their audience, their, their what they want the audience to know about them, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's a sell on anything that they're doing. I, I'll give you an example. Uh, General Electric did a uh, podcast series, and how, how do you do a podcast series on washers and dryers. Nobody's going to listen to that. Instead, they they did a uh, a space series where the technology that was written into the scripts was actually based on the technology that GE had developed. So the connection there was the technology um, that was uh, developed and talked about and, and researched, but the storytelling had really nothing to do with the GE brand. And that's where we're finding podcasting can make a really powerful connection to the audience because first of all podcasting is a long tail it's not uh, instant ROI necessarily you have to grow your audience slowly and what we're all always an advocate uh, advocate for is how can you cannibalize the content that you're making for a podcast across multiple platforms uh, and so we're always hopefully guiding our clients into um, using podcasting, the podcast content we create as the foundation for a content strategy that goes across multiple platforms. And that's where we find the most success in a podcast that we create for brands. Yeah. 
I just want to comment along that line. So I listened to the the series you guys produced called Weeds, mm-hmm. five episodes. Weeds. And I have to say, it was really brilliant from my perspective because not only was it a great story, an entertaining story, I was, you know, engaged in the story itself, but it got done. And I thought, wow, you know, if I was in Vancouver looking for the products they sell, you know, I would want to go check them out, Mm -hmm. right? Not because they ever promoted it or ever said, come buy my stuff, come, you know, come be our Mm -hmm. customer. There was no sell at all. It was just telling their, you know, story. And it's a great, great story. Um, But you come away with a sense of, yeah, I would support these guys. I'd be rooting for them. And uh, if I was going to buy those products, I would buy from them. And and I think that's the beauty of that kind of podcast. And I think a lot of brands are missing it. (laughs) They they get too salesy. They let their marketing department, um, their sales guys uh, lead this. I also thought it was interesting. You guys actually had a link to um, Netflix mm-hmm. uh, as an example, right? Actually, there was an article that you linked um, in your case studies to Netflix. And, you know, we reviewed uh, We Are Netflix uh, as one of our episodes. And uh, actually, the article kind of concluded that it was a pretty effective one. <laughs> and for us, uh, we thought it was actually pretty terrible uh, from a branding mm-hmm. one uh, that that particular one. So, Anyway, it's very interesting how different organizations are going at this. And Netflix goes at it with multiple prongs, right? They have a whole bunch of podcasts they're doing. Um, We thought the the We Are Netflix one was so clearly a recruiting one and like being dictated by HR who doesn't Mm -hmm. understand entertainment. (laughs) A couple of the episodes were really, really bad. Um, well, like with any medium, I think that, you know, not everybody's going to use it as effectively as others. And I think that, mm-hmm. um, you know, we actively discourage brands from having much of a brand touch at all when it comes to putting together their, the, the, the vision for whatever the content is that they're going to produce. And in fact, we look at Netflix, we, we call podcasting Netflix for your ears because literally look at the ecosystem. Look, it, it's a buffet of content virtually anything you're interested in or want to learn about, you can find on a podcast somewhere by some of the greatest minds on the planet. I mean, it's challenging to, to you know, go on the kind of dozen or so streaming services and really target a piece of content that A, you don't have to pay, you know, an, a monthly fee on to, to access or have to wade through a thousand other pieces of content to try and get to. Yeah. I'm quite interested in your podcast um, organization. Can you tell me a bit about some of maybe the creative challenges you have when you talk to brands? Or do they tend to go down? They want to go one way. You feel you need to pivot them somewhere else. What are what are some of the challenges working with brands, doing brand or corporate type podcasts? Yes, all of those things. <laughs> so, I mean, you 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 mentioned Weeds. So Weeds is a podcast series that kind of focused on um, Don Barriere who was considered to be, and still is, this one of these leaders in uh, Canada's cannabis legacy. And this guy, uh, you know, when you when you look at what legally is happening for cannabis in Canada, where 
it's basic, it's it's legal now. They've <laughs> they've got a lot of regulations <laughs> to work through. But this man uh, has spent time in jail. He was, uh, I, I mean, this entire series was really a, a documentary on on his life. Uh, and this entire series was was done in the 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 intention of perhaps setting it up to be uh, a television series that uh, then would uh, tell the uh, the background on his life and his career and and what he did for cannabis in Canada. Hasn't got there yet. But to your point about uh, what what are some of the challenges? They're they're all the challenges because they're all a challenge because you're talking about how do you come up with something that's really interesting and compelling um, to an audience that has a tie to a brand in any way that doesn't come off as a commercial or um, an infomercial. And so we've worked with literally dozens of brands, everybody from BDO to K, uh, KPMG. Uh, that's an accounting firm. Yeah. Well, how, how do you make an accounting firm interesting? This is Beyond, a podcast exploring cybersecurity and business today, tomorrow, and beyond. I'm Hartash Nijar, leader of KPMG Canada's national cybersecurity practice. Journey with me into the world of cybersecurity to understand the vital role it'll play in protecting our future. The the tact with them is that really kind of looking at, okay, what do you do? What are the core values of the company that you want to uh, expand on? And what messaging do you want to get through to your audience? And, and once we identify those, we sit with our creative crew and say, okay, what, what can we do with this? So KPMG was one of those things where they were, they were talking about uh, um, the digital space and how easy it is to have your digital identity stolen. So we thought, okay, let's come up with a series that is completely scripted and takes a look at the future in 10-year increments. They kind of liked that idea, but didn't go for it. What we ended up was a hybrid of both where we we came up with a dramatization that kind of fit in each podcast. So we hired a series of five to 10 actors and we scripted out scenarios that are relatable to the audience. And, and we've, we've either uh, been through ourselves or we know somebody that has had an identity stolen or whatever it happens to be. And, and we've created these dramatizations within the podcast. And then uh, once we executed on those, we had the experts talk about how to avoid those scenarios. So it, there's no... There's no kind of one size fits all when it comes to figuring out what to do. Another scenario was coming up with a, a podcast series that hasn't launched yet for a car dealership. Well, that's a slippery slope, right? I mean, what can you do with a car dealership that doesn't sound like you're trying to sell Toyota or Ford or whatever it happens to be? And, and there's one series that is personally one of my favorite that we didn't do that's done by a company out of Vancouver that has been mentors to us as we built this company uh, called Pacific Content. They're they're the top of the heap as far as companies that do the kind of thing that our company does. And uh, they did a podcast series for Ford called Bronco. And it was the relaunch of the iconic Bronco brand. And it is probably one of the best produced things I've ever, ever heard, because it is a documentary that takes you on the journey of why the Bronco was so compelling to people. And then the whole OJ Simpson thing and the production values alone. Uh, you can see how much money was spent on the, on the podcast series. So 
we have a series uh, with the Caribou Auto Group that's going to launch uh, probably in December, early January. And we wanted to do a series that capitalized on the fact that they were in the interior of British Columbia, Caribou country as what it's known. So we thought, okay, let's do a travel log of geographic locations that branch out from the individual dealerships and talk about the incredible scenery and the history of interior BC that you can get to by car. So we played on the words by car, like buys and buy a car. Mm-hmm. Um, but it became a, it's, it's a travelogue series that really has nothing to do with buying. The only connection to the auto dealership is that we start the journey at the specific auto dealership that happens to be in that geographic location. And then we just tell the story and talk to people and it becomes uh, this documentary about the interior of BC. Again, that kind of leverages the fact that there's a subtle mention of the brand, but then it goes off on a very creative, um, uh, adventure that that tells this story that anybody could listen to, uh, whether you want to buy a car or not. The association by drawing in an audience that typically wouldn't listen to, say, a podcast about buying a car, uh, mm-hmm. it might make a connection with the Caribou Auto Group because of the production they put together. All right, so here's the challenge. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing in my head, right? You got mm-hmm. the bean counters now. We're going to go. All right, so we're going to spend how much to make this thing, and how do I measure? my ROI on that, mm-hmm. right? So how do you know how effective such a thing has been and whether, you know, people just liked it and loved it and they listened to it and they never show up at one of those dealerships or, right, it actually mm-hmm. had an impact on the um, on the business? Yeah, it's a great question and it's one we're getting all the time. So I think what's happening and what you're seeing in podcasting is, listen, the the numbers that were shared just last week from Trident Digital that, that, that put out the analytics on, on podcasting, you, you see some growth year over year, which is fantastic. And we all have heard, heard the stories, a billion dollars spent in advertising and all that. But I think the reality is that, and as you know, it's, you know, generally podcasts on average, the average downloaded podcast gets about 140 downloads per episode. That's the average. And, and then you hear about these other uh, uh, podcasts that are, are, you know, the top of the food chain that are, you know, 50,000, 100,000, 500,000, millions of downloads. Yep. Those are the rarity for sure. When it comes to advertising spend, what we're finding is that brands are looking at at their marketing budget and they're saying, okay, look, Let's say, for instance, we're going to spend $100,000. How are we going to allocate that $100,000 this month or this year, depending on how big the company is? Are we going to spend it in radio? We're going to spend it on television? Are we going to spend it in the creation of the ad or a digital buy? And what a lot of brands are doing is going, you know, that's that's create something that's tangible, that has a shelf life. Because remember, podcasts, or at least branded podcasts, according to uh a fast company are the commercials people choose to spend time with. So when we're playing playing a piece of content and there's a commercial that plays and a commercial comes on, you, you got to listen to it. You got to experience it in order to get to the content you actually want to hear. A podcast, when done well, your audience is choosing to spend time with that podcast. And we know that that in most cases, people are spending eighty percent, ninety three percent listening to the entire podcast. So if you do it well and you do a, a compelling piece of content that's interesting and reaches a specific audience with content they want to hear, they're going to listen to pretty much the entire thing. 
That's the creative challenge we have in coming up with a scenario for any brand that comes to us. How do you create a piece of content that your audience wants to hear? Because yeah. um, the moment they smell infomercial, I don't know about you, but I'm gone. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Well, we're big fans of the corporate branded podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, it's intimate. It provides a personal connection. Uh, I think people listen to it for a long time. We're really high on on these this type of content going yeah. forward. Yeah. Now, you also wrote a book, I see, broadcast a podcast. Is this where you tell stories like this or you tell people how to do these kind of things? What what was the mission and vision there? The, the mission and vision was to implement what we knew or what I have learned in my career from broadcast that we know applies with all the research that we have access to into the podcast space. So what are those things? Other than going through the hundreds of pages that are in there, the, the basic tenets of doing content apply across multiple platforms. Doesn't matter if you're doing a podcast or broadcast or social media. You have to do something that's compelling. You have to capture the audience's uh, attention in a finite amount of time. And what we know from the research, you literally have eight seconds. You have eight seconds to capture somebody's attention with a headline or a compelling statement. Uh, before they decide to move on, click the button, change the radio station, scroll through whatever they're looking at. So when you put that into context, it, the, the challenge for all of us is when we're sitting down to do a, a piece of content or a podcast, and I'll challenge you to do this next time you listen to something. How long does it take the podcast to get to the actual content they're promoting they're talking about? The longer it takes to get to that moment, to get to that thing that I'm actually tuning in to listen to, the more chance you have to lose me. And I've listened to dozens of podcasts where it's like, I've been listening to this person talk about their life for three and a half minutes, and they haven't even mentioned anything uh, that has made, has compelled me to listen in the first place. Not to say all of that is wrong, because part of what makes a, a personal connection with any host that's hosting a podcast is your ability to connect with your audience. The challenge from a prep standpoint is that how you integrate that into the fabric of your content. So the fact that I'm a dad, I have two grown daughters, we're empty nesters, all of those facts should be relevant in content of a podcast I'm hosting as a personality but it doesn't have to front end three to five minutes of a podcast that I'm I'm hosting. I can, in a conversation with you, bring it up at some point. And, and those things can be strategic and planned when you're doing your, your show prep. And I think the biggest challenge for anybody, as with broadcast, I've coached thousands of people in broadcast and television and radio and in podcasting, is you can't sit down and turn on your microphone and create magic. You have to create a roadmap. Yeah. Um, are you seeing any innovation, Cliff? What, what are there any any areas where you see some real innovation in podcasting that uh, you think is a real opportunity for um, sort of people that are entering this around this time? Well, I think the biggest challenge for anybody entering the podcast space is frustration on not getting the kind of traction or download numbers that you expect to get. Um, and I think what we're seeing over time is that you have to be consistent. Um, there's a metric out there and I can't remember the number of how many podcasts actually stop creating content after a certain number. But I think the challenge is that if you're passionate about something and if you believe in something, then work on a, a cadence that works for you and a release schedule that works for you. 
and allow the podcast to be the foundation of content that gets published across multiple platforms. So you can't just produce and publish a podcast and the audience is going to show up. The content that is relevant within that podcast can become a blog. It can become multiple social posts uh, before, during, and after. You have to look for uh, ways to repurpose that podcast. Maybe something happens in the, in the news that was relevant to a piece of content that you did in a podcast six months, three years ago, doesn't matter. There's a reason to republish that information again and bring it back to life. And all you have to do is look to any of the uh, major news net networks or talk shows uh, of how they continually recycle content that might be a week, two weeks, two years, yeah. <laughs> four years old, um, because you're recycling to an audience that hasn't seen it before. Yeah. The belief that it's published once and everybody's heard it is just not, not, uh, not reality. We have seen that with some of the really good ones that they do a great job of plugging uh, previous content and uh, you know reminding yeah. you, oh yeah, if you liked this episode, you should listen to you know episode twelve or episode two hundred and ninety four from yes, you know three years ago because we talked about this thing. Yeah, it's it's work, and the other thing you know, there's no nobody's got the roadmap to traction or downloads, so. First of all, don't get sucked into any of those people saying they can promote your podcast. Um, we've had brands spend thousands and thousands of thousands of dollars on Spotify trying to get traction. Yeah, doesn't work. Yeah, I think you have to, you have to be active on all the platforms. It's going to take a lot of work. Yes, you can spend a little bit of marketing dollars for sure, but you know, at the end of the day, there's no guarantee that you're going to find your audience. You have to be consistent, and you have to do it. Uh, you have to kind of stick to a plan that's going to produce enough content to make it interesting for somebody to tune in. Yeah. We've, yeah, we've seen a lot of success from people that we just seem to feel are really nice that, that people just genuinely connect with them. They are, they are very likable people. And then mm -hmm. they've been able to get out there into the community. People like the guys from stuff you should know, the serial people I think are really good at this. You know, they've mm -hmm. got a, I don't want to say a cult following, but they've got enough of a following that people now want to connect with them off the off the platform in real life. Um, and they're going out and meeting with their audience. We really like to see that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier, you were talking about uh, that first, you know, kind of you know, eight seconds, you know, window to, to catch my attention. One of the things we talked about, and this actually comes from a, a technique I've used in business coaching uh, called value stream mapping. But looking at a podcast and mapping it into like two minute segments and saying, what value did you deliver in these two minutes? So if you've got a 30 minute and if you're going two hours, right, it, it kind of expands and contracts a little bit there and how much your audience may be patient waiting for the value to come. But mm -hmm. for me, right, if you're droning on for more than two to three minutes off topic, I'm starting to lose interest. Right. Or I'm reaching for the control button that says speed this up to 1.5 because I want to get through this to get to the piece I tuned in to listen for. And there's danger there. Right. You're, you're starting to lose me if you're going too slowly. So, yeah. So pace. But just thinking about that as you're, you're editing, you're getting ready to, to publish something. You know, do you have major gaps in here? 
where you were either just slow or you let a guest ramble or you got on a soapbox and went off on something, right? Mm -hmm. Is it tight enough, important enough, impactful for your audience? Do they care? Well, we live in a a attention deficit society. So in that economy, you have to respect a person's time. They're choosing to spend time with you. You have to give them you have to meet their expectations. If you yeah. don't meet their expectations, then I'm sorry, the latest episode of Yellowstone is on, and I'd rather watch that than listen to this. <laughs> so you, you've got to you've got to make those those editorial choices when you're getting to a point of of editing your content. And yeah. a lot of times, you know, depending on who you're talking to, maybe the best answer to the question happens 15 minutes into your your conversation. Well, that becomes the first answer you edit it to that point yeah and sometimes it's challenging i think for a lot of people to be have that uh uh, that kind of filter and look at something and go wow okay all of this really isn't that that interesting this thing this question this answer to whatever question it happens to be and we just went through this we're doing a, a series for uh university of manitoba it's called what's the big idea so this is a, a series of conversations with the president of the university with PhD scientific minds that that would blow you away. And they had a gentleman who the whole pitch, including the show notes and the introduction, um, was leading up to the fact that this guy, uh, his vision and what he shared with the world has changed the, the way we look at science and space travel. Phenomenal amount of content. The first eight minutes of this was him going to high school in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So uh, part of my job with the company is that I kind of set the creative direction. We hire the creative team, writers, showrunners, uh, producers to put it together, and and then we'll come up with the creative direction together. So when I hear the audio back uh, and and I talk to the, the writers, I'm going, the first eight minutes of this doesn't matter to anybody, except if you a lived in Winnipeg and cared about who he went to high school with. When get to the information that he's talking about that's changing the world yeah. first. And if there's a way to maybe integrate some of this stuff later on, I guess, and the client wants that because at the end of the day, it's what the client wants. Uh, but we're always encouraging them. Here's the reason why uh, you're going to lose people if this is the first thing that they're hearing. Yeah. Well, we call it the hook. So, yeah. you know, and, and we've encouraged this in, in many, many and, and highlighted where, where some of the podcasts we've reviewed have done it very, very well. You know, but we love that um, kind of soundbite thing, right? So you've had that moment where a guest has just said something that just hits you right between the eyes, right? Mm-hmm. You go, oh, and so later we're going to talk to this guy and, you know, he's going to explain that comment, right? So now I'm in, right? I'm going, oh, oh yeah, I got I to gotta hear that right? I want to hear him explain, you know, that statement. So that's really, really important right out the, right out the gate. And we've, we've encouraged that uh, a lot and there's a bunch of different ways to do it. Um, but yeah, that soundbite kind of front loaded that, that gets mm-hmm. just that little snippet. Now, interestingly, another example though, is um, Christine Blackburn, the very first podcast we reviewed and, and we laughed at her. So she's a comedian. Her podcast is called story worthy. It's about stories and but she would do the sound bite. You get the hook at the beginning that oh, this guest I've got on the show is going to tell this funny story, and then she would go twenty minutes of chit chat and make you wait for it. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah. she's done eight, nine hundred episodes. She has a great following. You know, she's one of these who kind of gets away with it that people who follow her understand that this is how she she operates. Well, the, the interesting thing with that, too, and listen, this critique is only relevant if it if it is identifying a piece of content or a content creator that's maybe just entering the space. Because, I mean, arguably, it's it's you have somebody like that. She's earned equity with her audience um, and has earned the right to be able to have them hang on through other content that they kind of expect from her show. But not everybody can earn that kind of equity uh, or last that long to be able to do that kind of content in a way that that, you know, we could listen to it and go, wow, it took them 20 minutes to get to the piece of content I really cared about because I don't know who this person is. She hasn't uh, she hasn't earned my loyalty yet. So I don't give her a pass. Yep. And I think you may be right, Cliff. I, I think that she's I think it's completely intentional that uh, that there is value that she's adding to her audience. I sure. know on a, as a first time listener, but if you are her audience, you get value out of that out of that lead in that lengthy yep. lead in. Michael, we had a couple other prepared questions. Yeah, I think we haven't. I know. I know. I know you've obviously had some success. Cliff, you've had a, a CMA Country Music Award Association broadcaster um, win and. You also did one on the American side, Academy of Country Music. What does recognition mean to you in this space? Well, I, I think it depends what your ego requires. Um, uh, for me, I think that uh, uh, earning those accolades in the United States is uh, I, I, an incredible honor, for sure. Um, it's validation, uh, but it's... You know, we, we live in a world of what can you do for me right now? And those are moments in time. And I, I think the realization that those don't happen for an individual, they happen because you're surrounded with incredible people, uh, whether they're mentors or staff or co-hosts, all of those people make it possible to earn any kind of accolade uh, of that scale. Um so for me, it's incredible. It's an incredible honor. I have them. I have them on my wall, um, and they're they're a legacy. And when you think about awards for for anybody from acting and the Oscars, you know you're always you're always one of those award winners. So it's pretty cool. I mean, there's no there's no denying the fact that that's uh, an incredible honor in an industry that doesn't reward that many. You know, when you think of the thousands of radio stations in the United States and Canada, then to be recognized that way is, is pretty awesome. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you. You've got, a, you've got a great voice for radio. I think I have, a, I have a face for radio, too. Well, a face for radio, but I think you've got a voice there, too. <laughs> any opportunities you see in the podcast space? Any, any if, you're, if you're giving some advice to young people, um, genres that you really like or podcasts that you like, what, uh, what, would you, uh, what do you think young people need to know? Well, I think you have to put in the work. You, you, if you're committing to be a content provider on any of the platforms, um, you have to recognize a who your target audience is and how to connect with them. And you certainly see that on, you know, some of the young people that are doing so well on TikTok and and Instagram and that kind of thing. The longer form form content takes a little bit more effort. You know, it's prep, it's planning. It, it's understanding again your audience and the kind of content that is going to resonate with them, and then more importantly, what what are you passionate about? What is it that 
you bring to the table that makes you, you unique. Defining all of those things uh, as a performer is, is in some cases, a, a lifelong journey. Um, so it's, it's doing the work, it's committing to do the work. And what I see as far as, you know, what's happening on the horizon, you, you certainly see the um, uh, more and more of the platforms getting into video content as far as video podcasting goes. Now, the only thing with the video component of it is it means it's in real time, and it's a conversation like this. So um, that moves you away from any, doing any kind of high level production. Uh, which is kind of the dramatization uh, of companies like Everything Podcasts or Wonderly or or Quill or any of those those companies that do you know e- even at a high level scripted podcasts, which you're going to see a lot more of. So the the fictionalized podcast uh, we're seeing are becoming more and more prevalent for companies that maybe just want to attach to them as a, a branding component. But the fictionalized storytelling that they're getting into is um, kind of all over the map. And you're seeing a lot of people move from television script writing into the podcast page, which I think is really exciting. It's just going to elevate the entire ecosystem uh, and the type of content that we're going to be able to enjoy is just going to continue to sound better and better. Yeah, I see a lot of folks on the podcast forums, if you will, Facebook groups and such, asking about live streaming so to that's me that's radio is, exactly <laughs> it's, it's like radio. so if you're right you're doing your podcast live streamed on you know facebook and youtube right what's different than being on the radio it yeah come in full circle i guess at that point i guess the only the only thing is you you don't have fcc or in canada crtc regulations to worry about <laughs> yeah <laughs> But well, yeah, I mean, that's what it is. But you know what? The, the tenets of good content doesn't change whether you're doing pre-recorded or live. You have to put in the work. You have to do the prep and planning. You have to make sure that you have to, you, first of all, think about this from this aspect. Respect your audience's time. And that requires you to do the work and give them a piece of content that is interesting, engaging, compelling, and does it in a concise way that doesn't waste somebody's time. Yeah, That's important. I'm also interested in the short format component of this too and how that's evolving. So, and just as an example of it, right? So I have a Substack channel that I write a weekly um, blog. I call it my podcast journal. So I was just writing those. Those are all just written mm-hmm. journals and uh, and publishing those weekly. And actually my my wife is the one who prompted me to, to want to do this. Um, she said, I should start recording those, just, just read them basically and, and put the audio out there. And I realized when I do that, it's about a five to eight minute segment. So I think this is an interesting you know, opportunity in the space too. More and more people want this you know, really kind of chunked, really quick bite size content if you do it mm-hmm. well. So yeah, we'll see. I think it's well a great idea. Listen, yeah. we put together a marketing plan to sell a podcast to brands that didn't want to go uh, down the expensive route and, and do something a little, not as time consuming. So, I mean, most of our podcasts are only over from 20 to 30 minutes. The sweet spot's 40. Yeah. So we launched and branded, and this is just a branded term for it. We, we call them snapcasts and they're anywhere from six to nine minutes. So I, I think doing a companion to your blog that's in the audio space, but published to the, uh, 
the, to to the podcast ecosystem is is brilliant. And I would only encourage you if you're going to do that, then uh, add some production value, put some music behind it, do an introduction to it that makes sense. You know, add a little bit of value to it rather than just uh, simply voice. Yeah, and uh, terrific idea, Michael. You any other? No, I think that was some great content there. I love the put in the effort, um, and I love that uh, you know you've got to know who your audience is, Cliff, <clears throat> and uh, that's the future of broadcast. Absolutely thrilled to talk to you, Cliff. I really, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely, my pleasure, guys. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Well, that is a wrap of this episode of No Harm in Asking with Michael Kerr and Eric Byron and our guest, Cliff Dumas. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Colab.me, the free-to-use platform for interview planning, preparation, and collaboration.